Vendor advocacy is a term you may not have heard of before, but it's a service that's on the rise. A vendor's advocate is a person engaged by a property seller to help them choose a sales agent and navigate the selling process. A kind of agent whisperer, if you will. But if your real estate agent is your agent, why do you also need an advocate? Welcome to the Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. Today, we're joined by Fiona Martin, a Victorian-based vendor advocate who, after a decade of working as a sales agent in Melbourne, moved to the other side of real estate as both a sales and buyer's advocate. And from this different perspective in the industry, she discovered that a large discrepancy was there in the services promised to vendors versus what was actually delivered, meaning that the vast majority of vendors were not represented ethically by their agents. It's enough to strike fear in your heart, isn't it? Seeing a gap in the industry for genuine vendor advocacy, Fiona found a golden alliance to work with vendors in the sale of their properties. Now, I know a number of buyers agents who offer vendor advisory, my business included, but Fiona is one of only a handful of agents who only do vendor advocacy, nothing else. So we're very keen to chat with her about this aspect of the industry. And thank you so much for coming, Fiona. Thank you so much for having me. Fiona, I think we've done 250 episodes. And I don't think we've done one on this, Veronica, from memory. Um, we I think it's something that a lot of people don't even know exists. So that's you know, something for us to even talk about to start this off. What is a vendor advocate? Like, you know, some people don't even know what a buyer's advocate is, let alone a vendor advocate. So... You know, you need to explain, you know, across different states as well, how the sort of fee model works, the role, and why I guess someone should consider one. It's a, it's a really good point because I think half of my job is explaining what a vendor <laughs> advocate is to people. Um, no, no, obviously I'm joking, but it's not a service that people are really familiar with. People do tend to say, oh, well, I know what a buyer's advocate is. So I guess you work with vendors and that, and that's sort of where the information stops. So I guess I can talk about Victoria as as a, as a service because it does, it's the same service state by state, but things can differ as well. So I'll let Veronica yeah. talk to that uh, for, for New South Wales potentially. But here, so as you said and summarised very neatly, it is a service where you engage with me if you did want to sell a property. And then we interview the selling agents together. So you get that selection process right at the beginning because, of course, sales agents are trained to sell, which is also selling to vendors, not just to buyers. And they all come in and tell you that, you know, that they're the best, that you should use them um, for reasons X, Y, Z. And it, it can be difficult to differentiate who's actually got substance to what they're saying and what they're promising. And if that, you know, if what they're saying is going to follow through to the actual sale process. Um, so that's a really big part of it and getting that selection correct. And then it's a collaboration between the agent, the vendor and myself throughout the sale. So I do operate quite differently to other advocates um, in that I don't cut communication between the vendor and the agent. I actually prefer full transparency from the get go and right through the sale. 
Um, I think it builds trust and confidence for the vendor to have that and to be able to speak directly to the agent as well. And what that means is, and it does work differently with different clients depending on their needs, um, we do a lot of three-way phone calls, you know, group WhatsApp chats, for example, group text messages, emails, all of the normal stuff, but it's, it's just, you know, everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what's going on. There's a lot of communication um, throughout the process. And with the agent, there tend to be extra phone calls around strategy, um, you know, little things that we can tweak here and there to, to maybe get a better yep. result and then present those options to the vendor because ultimately it's their decision, whatever they choose to do, but they need to be fully informed and, um, you know, and have those options given to them because quite often, as I'm sure you guys are aware, um, you know, the selling agent will do the same thing for every single client and it's tried and tested and it, it might work. It might get them the outcome. It might get them the sale. It probably will. But is that the best way to sell the property? Could they have done something different along the way? Could they have put in a little bit more work or thought? You know? Do you think, it's, do you think your old job's like kind of like the BS tester, the the litmus test, right? Is that is that true what they're saying? Is that BS, you know, like, and you almost from the moment you meet them to when they're doing their proposal to you know, their strategy for listing to what they're going to do with the vet, you know, the buyers, et cetera. You sort of, and you know, you're almost saying, no, that's not true. That's, come on, mate, you can do better than that. Um, you know, because it's a real skill, right? Like my sister um, was trying to sell a property just a few months ago. It was a pretty good place in has- Melbourne. Um, and, you know, it was just so hard to, you know, get into the agent. And the agent was saying all the right things, but then to know what they're actually doing on the and ground and are they actually making those calls and are they working those buyers and what's the issue here? Correct. Is it our price guide? Is it? And it's just completely out of touch. And a vendor advocate would have been perfect in that situation. So my sister's just saying, well, I can't challenge her. Like, uh, I can't really keep on. It's, you know what I mean? There was this, like, I guess this friction point where, you know, we've just got to have a leap of faith. And they probably didn't sell in the end, which was, um, yeah, it's worked out well in the end for her and other reasons. But Gosh. obviously we would have wanted it to sell. We wouldn't have styled it and listed it and got it ready for sale. And so do you think that's sort of the real value at is through that coaching and just making sure that the agent's not talking crap, basically? It's a big part of it um, because that, that can happen. It does happen. So that is definitely one side of even in the interview process because obviously once you've selected the agent with a vendor advocate, you want to be getting somebody really good who you then don't have to, you know, check up on during the campaign. It's more, you know, as I said, a collaboration, but working together all towards the same outcome, which is, you know, happy vendor and, and happy outcome. But for sure, BS tester, yes, that is yeah. part of it. The other part <laughs> of it, even in the interview process, is you've got agents who who they do care and their heart is in the right place. But maybe they're just not, you know, up with the latest ideas because because the industry does evolve, especially, um, and I speak to Victoria in Melbourne with all of the lockdowns in the last couple of years, that has actually made the industry more adapt- adaptable, adaptive, um, which is for the better. You know, there are things that agents do now that just wouldn't have happened yeah. three years ago. So you need Can an you agent. an example? Um, yeah, so an example would be, I really like this story because I think, and and I, I will preface it with sometimes I suggest things to agents and they say, that's a stupid idea. No. <laughs> um, but I'll give you this example because it, it leads into, I guess, what a vendor advocate can do for a client, um, even with a good agent, but also how the market has changed and, and perceptions and that, you know, ability to adapt that I mentioned before. So 
I had a property, this is, you know, pre-COVID, 2019, we had the election and the market was, it was pretty hard. And if you had a buyer who was interested in a property, you'd be, you know, you would be, that would be a buyer. It would be unlikely to get somebody else. So you'd be looking at how to maximize price with that buyer to sell the property. Um, We had a property that went on the market shortly after the, the election and the market had started to change, but it was literally happening at that time. So there was no, well, a week ago it was worse and now it's better. It was, it was changing as, you know, as we spoke at the time. And we had the first open for inspection for this property and we had 43 groups through and we got an offer. Wow. Which was, yeah, which was <laughs> incredible, right? And we'd gone from, to put that into perspective, maybe five to 10 buyers, 10 would be good. Yes. And we had 43 three at this open for inspection and we got an offer which was above where the vendors wanted to sell at. Um, the agent, I said to the agent, what, you know, what do you want to do? This is a, this is a really great agent as well, director, um, very experienced. And he said, well, you know, I think we, I think we sell it, but we set up the process, you know, for, this is on the Saturday for a deadline on Monday for closing offers. He goes, well, for sure we'll get higher than this and we'll be able to negotiate with the buyers and, you know, to maximize the price to the vendor. Maybe we'll even, I think the offer started at 6.35. So maybe we'll get, you know, mid uh, high sixes. And um, and I said, look, I'm just not comfortable in selling it that quickly with so mm. many buyers coming through the first inspection. And he said, well, what do you suggest? I said, what if we brought the auction date forward? And he said, I've never done that before. And I said, neither have I. Now, this is what I mean. Now, this is normal. You can change auction mm. dates around. But back pre-COVID, it was unheard of virtually. And he's, you know, I'm 15 years in the industry. He's 30 years. So he's he's been around a long time. Anyway, we worked out pros and cons. What do we do? Where do we go from here? What's the best strategy? Um, and we did. We decided to bring the auction date for the following week. So it was on the market a week and a half. It sold for seven fifty five, seven fifty seven at auction with the buyers competing for it. So it wasn't, you know, it was all genuine, come, came from a genuine place and us just trying to do the best thing for the vendor. And that was, you know, he's a great agent because he wasn't doing the wrong thing. And he did care about the vendor and that's why he took the time to discuss, you know, the pros and cons. And as I said, I suggest things and sometimes I get shot down. It's a, it's a bad idea or it's not going to work. But um, <laughs> it's just the point of two heads working together and that proactive approach. It's uh, Chris mentioned earlier about, you know, potentially you're the BS antenna or, all the, you know, the, <laughs> the filter. But, but in a way, good vendor efficacy is also about saying to the client, look, actually, I know they might sound like they're bullshitting you right at the moment because yeah. that's all their dialogue sounds like bullshit sometimes. But actually, what they're telling you is the truth and you need to yeah. understand this in order to make a, you know, a good decision. So exactly. I find that when we do it, sometimes it's literally saying, actually, we need to listen to them and these are the reasons um, so it's that's why I call it the Asia Whisper in many ways. It's because <laughs> socially we are almost trained to dislike and distrust real estate agents with good reason. Often, with good reason, you know. Correct. Yes, I mean I'm not unfortunately. You know, like anyone who's watched my rant videos will know what I think about the role we all play in telling the truth around around property. Um, and so everyone has a, a role to play here, and that includes the vendor. So I guess having a vendor's advocate on board as well helps the vendor not to play their part in the bullshit game. Yeah, because that's true. There's all those lines. Every sales agent's like, "Oh yeah, I've heard these ones before. Go, I'll, I'll just rent it out. I'm not going to give it away. I, I, you know, there's all these sort of things that vendors trot out when they actually they need to sell, you know. And so it's just let's just tell the truth. Let's just try to all work together. So I guess what you're saying there is that it gives you an opportunity as a third 
almost like a counselor, counselor. <laughs> mediator. Yeah. That is a that is something that is part of the job. I think <laughs> it's not it's not something we talk about, but absolutely, it's um. And I guess I don't know if other advocates do this, and there may be some who do. But I have um, added a service this year, where if you've already hired an agent and the property's already on the market, but you can't sell it, or there's a breakdown in communication, or you don't trust what's happening with the process and the agent then you can engage, as I said, I don't know if other advocates do it, but you can engage me in those yeah. circumstances to then work with the vendor and the agent to firstly assess, you know, where's the problem? Because if the vendor doesn't know, there's there's a breakdown in communication already um, because yeah. they should really know what's going on. There's, there's always a reason why a property is not selling and no, it's not like it's the train line out the back or the second bedroom's too small. That's not the reason, you know, every property is saleable. So um, I can then come in and, as I said, assess what's going on, look at the advertising, speak to the agent, understand that where they're coming from, um, you know, ask different questions and the same questions as well to both vendor and agent. And then again, work together. You know, how do we, how do we get, and is sale, is selling realistic? Like maybe if the vendor wants too much, it's not the right option and they should take it off the market. Maybe they were given the wrong advice in the beginning. Um, because you, you're right, like I, I, what you said before, Veronica, if you have that trust and honesty right from the beginning, which is my role in it, hopefully the agent's on the same page, um, you know, and the vendor, then, then they're going to believe you with when you have to deliver maybe the not so good news, not just when you're delivering the really positive stuff. And uh, you know, that, that's got to be present in the relationship from the start. Yeah. It's obvious to me, and certainly in my business as well, that we see the demand for vendor advocacy is a lot higher in a slower market than it is in a hot market. So how did you go? How did you fare during the, the most recent boom? Did you find that people um, were interested in vendor advisory services or they're happier to go with an agent because it's so much a, basically a doorstop can sell a house in a boom? <laughs> you know, there's, there's very little skill required um, in a boom, but in a, in a slower market, there's an enormous amount of skill required to maximise, even when you've got a competitive um, situation, to Correct. read it correctly and maximise. But also, if you've got a B or C grade property which might be struggling, getting that over the line requires skill. Um, and so, I guess, how is the difference in your business in those two market conditions? That's a great point that you make about the market at the moment and skill required, um, not just to sell but to maximise the price. Um, I, so my business is only 18 months old. So I started when the market was in a boom and in and out of lockdowns here in Melbourne as well. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and I suppose it's set up maybe a little bit differently to most in that I'm not relying on, on call-ins or internet inquiries. It's purely referral. So I guess I, I started from from nothing and 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 built it up from there during a boom market. And what I find, I don't know if it's the same with you, Veronica, but because people aren't familiar with the service, you know, the first question is, what is it that you do? How does it work? You know, who pays you? And then and they go, wow, that sounds great. And it's and, and most people just sign up regardless Let's talk of the market. That actually, around the yeah, pay yeah. side. I mean. Mm. Um, Obviously, there's, you know, I'll be interested to see what percentage of agents always, I mean, because it's a, especially in this market, right, a listing is probably more likely to want to give you some of their, um, their fee and, and you're providing a service that's making their job easier, to be honest. And that's why an agent should consider yep. it. 
Um, but just maybe talk through the model because, you know, a lot of our listeners wouldn't have gone through that um, experience and potentially there's not really even a fee there, I guess, depending on how it all works. So talk it That's through. That's right. Well, most advocates will do something similar in that yep. the selling agent pay. There are different ways, but most agents do it this way. Yeah. So the selling agent will take a cut on their fee essentially to, to get the business because it's still market share. It's still a listing. It's still a board up. It's still potential yeah. to get new clients who they're going to meet with the buyers coming through the door. Because buyers are also sellers. Um, yep. But I think <laughs> ultimately, and yes, it does make their job easier as well. If you are working as a team, yep. and it's you know because it is, as I said, it's a team approach. But I think ultimately, and this is the biggest benefit for them, it's it's the potential ongoing business. If they do a fantastic job with the first client. Then of course I will give them an opportunity, an opportunity with the next client in the area. Now they yeah, have to prove sense. themselves because the client hasn't worked with them before, even though I have, and the client, the vendor needs to feel comfortable as well. Um, but they'll have that opportunity, and so that ongoing relationship can be, you know, a really powerful one for everybody involved. Mm. Now I'm just going to be devil's advocate a little bit here because a hundred percent. Agree with you that um, you're adding a value to the process, and that can often result in a higher sale price. And therefore, you know, there's there's real value in that. With with the agent, I mean, and in my business, let me tell you, we charge a fee for it, but that's because from the outset, I always go fee for service for everything, and so we then really push the sales agent harder on their fee. Because that does not impact our fee, you know what I mean. So Correct. you're not going to push them as hard if you're you're getting percentage of that, and every 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 bit that you push them means you're getting less money. So we separate those two things out. And funnily enough, some time ago, a lot of people saying to me, "Oh, look, you you'd do a lot more vendor advocacy work if you made it at no cost to the vendor." You know, you just said, "Look, you know, you engage us, and it doesn't cost you anything." It's a bit like using a mortgage broker. It's like it doesn't cost you anything. Why wouldn't you do it? Um, and interestingly, I thought we'll do beta A B testing. Really, I, I actually offered clients either. You know, I said, "Would you like to, as part of the agent, can pay us out of your sales commission, or we'll charge you up front and then we'll push the agent um, card on their fee?" We have never had one person take us up on the split. They've always paid us that's, separately. That's awesome. It's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's, that it's just, is. It's an interesting. Perception, because I know a lot of people just assume that it's going to be easier to sell if it's not going to, inverted commas, cost them anything. But the other thing that I find interesting is the amount of, well, okay, the first time I came across a vendor's advocate was in Victoria, and it was when we were filming the show. And so we did an episode out there at Point Cook, and uh, the house that we actually purchased for the, the couple that were on the show, they had a, or the house we were dealing with the vendor's advocate and we never had any contact with the actual agent, only with the only vendor's with advocate. The vendor's and it was well, a really? divorce and it was a very acrimonious divorce apparently. And so that's the reason why they had a vendor's advocate in place. So it was, there was all these multi-levels. Now we got a good deal done. The clients, they subsequently sold some years later and made money. So we're all, all very, very happy. But I'd never come across it even as an idea. And even then, I, I assumed it was only going to be in those really tricky circumstances where you've got two vendors that won't talk to each other and someone's there to keep the bastards honest. But over the years, um, 
you know, obviously the the awareness has risen and certainly we've offered it in our business, but it didn't it still seemed to be more of a Victorian thing than a New South Wales thing or For a Queensland thing. Although, to jump in. Yeah, yeah. And I but but however you're saying that you're still educating people as to what you do. So it's obviously not as widespread as I may have assumed. No, it's really not. It's really not. I even had a selling agent who didn't know what it was recently. Um, you know, and he's seven years in the industry, so, um, but you know, maybe not super central to the city um, because it's less common, mm. generally speaking, further from the city. The whole advocate piece, um, but that's interesting that you say that. I think I know who the advocate is potentially. I won't name names on here. Um, there's only one I've heard of who who jumps in and sort of takes over dealing with buyers and and mm. you know, it's more for their. I think it's more for their benefit so that they can build their database. Um, <laughs> right, I don't, yes. Well, I don't see any advantage in it unless you're the, you're the, you know, need to be the local area expert and mm. familiar with how to work with buyers because it, it does differ sub, suburb to suburb. So if you're not, you know, on the ground dealing with that directly and familiar with the best approaches and the best techniques and the best this and the you know, best negotiation tactics with that demographic, what value are you adding other than just sort of, yeah, I ask you about that. Is it? Is it? Do you think that? Are you mainly focusing on a certain pocket of Melbourne, um, and or are you taking on clients regionally in Victoria, etc.? How? Yeah. How are you? Well, anywhere in Victoria, because I'm not dealing with buyers, and that's not my role in this. It's okay. uh, you know, my expertise are you know, Victoria is a state-based legislation, so. So Victoria, it's process, it's strategy, it's um, and a lot of it's relationship as well, um, relationship management, I suppose, between the agent, the vendor, um, counselling. Can we? I shouldn't throw that in because I'm not a counsellor, but there is a there is that aspect. We call to it, it as property well. therapy in our business. Property therapy. Uh, yep. uh, property like therapy. It. That's the one. That's <laughs> the one. Um, and I suppose if I can jump back to what you were saying before as well, because I really like that conversation about the fee for service and the agent paying, you know, th- those options. And I'd be interested to test it in my business as well. Um, but vendors do get a true sense of that if they've already, inter- which does happen, if they've already interviewed a selling agent and then mm. they hire me, they've already had that commission proposal from the agent yeah. and it stays the same. So, you know, they, they do have that you know, in some circumstances, confirmation that it doesn't cost extra. And I also just wanted to say that I completely take myself out of the negotiations in that I say to the vendor, what are you comfortable with? What do you want me to go back to the agent at? So sometimes I say, no, I'm actually really comfortable with their fee and I'm happy to, if they're going to do a great job, I'm happy to pay it. Probably the same thing as, you know, paying you guys directly. It's the same concept. And other times they say, oh, you know, can you get it down to this much or can you get them to match the other agent's commission? So I position it because I do I do get paid that way. Absolutely right. So that's how I sort of navigate that situation in that I'm not dictating it should be this or it should be that. I put it yep. to the client and let them make that choice. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower North Shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. 
And if you'd like a 30% discount plus free postage for my book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property, Even Though You're Scared Shitless, and yes, I'm a potty mouth, use the code ELEPHANT at the checkout, veronicamorgan.com.au. You're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. And if it is transparent, everyone's on board, right? Like if everyone's like, it's, I think it's just when people don't know what's going on and who's getting paid from you and how much and all this sort of stuff that people start to, uh, you know, um, I mean, I guess one of the conflicts for you is that if it doesn't sell though, you probably don't get paid like the agent, I guess. Um, is that something that, you know, and that, that potentially makes a bit of a conflict. Yeah, maybe there should be a fee or to be honest for yourself where you say, look, if it doesn't sell, you'll still pay me X or, or something just so they, but anyway, that, that whole charging models are such a, it's such a, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a moving target, you know, in, fin- in financial yeah, services and advice, people are trying yeah. to figure that out for years and can't figure it out. Um, and yeah. so, um, but yeah, obviously it's a it's a service that sometimes people aren't paying for directly because they're paying getting the same rate of commission on the sale. True. I think one of the other things is that with my sister's experience is just creating someone who is responsible other than the agent would um, have been something that could have because I'm busy. I was kind of playing the vendor advocacy role for my sister. My sister was busy. Yeah. We yeah. didn't know how much we, we should know. be following up this agent. We didn't have a structure. We didn't have a, an agenda to talk through. We couldn't sense check their numbers. We were wa- waiting on them to tell us what to do rather than us being proactive. And I feel like to sell a property, you do need to be proactive, right? You do need to be on top of that buyer. You do need to be changing the photos on domain if it's not working. You know what I mean? You need to be taking strategies. And I think a lot of agents just through being busy, the, some of the best agents are the busiest is mm. they, by the time they, they, they're just kind of being reactive, right? The, the listings, okay, we only get known to the open home. Oh, well, let's just see how we go on Wednesday, you know? And it's like, well, <laughs> what are we going to change to increase it? We can't get the on. And so I think that's where I think it's really valuable is, is just that guidance there and keeping the agent on their toes. And the agent's got to have a, has got to be on their game with you because they know that they're going to, they've got someone there that's, um, you know, going to keep them responsible. So I think that's another huge benefit. I wish we went through that with my sister, to be honest. I think um, it would have been just much better to allow someone in the professional world to be driving that conversation than someone who's just trying to figure it out while we go through it. That's right. We need to be able to, you know, two heads are better than one. And if you can offer that, you know, ideas around strategy and, and things that you can do to change you know, if it's not going that well, because there are always things that you, you can do. Um, uh, you've said so many things that I was like, oh, I want to say this. Oh, I want to say that. Now I can't remember because you, you, you had so many things. Um, but yeah, like cause it's, it's also because it is state-based legislation, it can really vary state to state. And I think, and I can say this, Veronica, because you're ex-sales agent as well, that agent needs to respect you as the vendor advocate. And there's mm. a lot more respect there if you've been in sales for more than two minutes. Um, yeah. You know, there are a lot of advocates who haven't. And that is, uh, I would weigh in on that. And, and a lot of buyer's agents offer this service. And, and yes, it's a, it's an quite established in the buyer's agency space. 
However, I agree. I think if the buyer's agent hasn't had sales experience, they actually don't know what what it goes on the other side. They don't know the back end. They don't know the marketing options. They don't know the conversations probably been had with most other vendors, with the buyers. They just don't know how an auction campaign works, how a private treaty negotiation works. There's There's just so many elements there that they've really got no insight into and they can get in the way they can because they can just be naive it's a bit like like, yeah I mean Chris you were saying about you know a buyers or sorry sellers need to be proactive in the sales yeah they do but they can't be bossing the agent around in what to do you know what I mean like coming up with all these crazy ideas because they do you know I remember that as a sales agent you got people are very proactive and you're going oh my god yes we have to do things, we have to shake things up, we have to do things differently to sell things in difficult markets, but you can't actually make buyers come out of nowhere, especially if your property's overpriced. No, so that's, that's a, a big part of the conversation has to be around what is it really worth and where do we need to pitch it in order to, order to actually capture that buyer in a reasonable time frame so that the owner doesn't feel like it's selling too quickly, but at the end of the day, you've got to be realistic with um, what the market's delivering and responsive as well. Like you, you talked about that that example in 2019. I'm actually curious, you did say that, you know, there's that um, agents not always representing their clients ethically. So I'd love to hear some examples of, and because I know agents often think they're being ethical when yes. they're not. You know, they are yes. in a vacuum quite often. Yes. They are. And so some examples there, I guess, would be would be great if you could share them. Sure. Um, and you're right. It's not it's not because the agents are saying are thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to do the wrong thing by the vendor. It's just that the focus tends to be on what's easiest for them, what's fastest for them, and that really a lot of them have a very transactional mentality. Um, you know, the focus is all on getting the listing, getting the client. And then once you've got them, you just do the same, same thing, same yes. thing. <laughs> or you put in a little bit of extra effort if you can get it done faster. You know that. And I'm, I'm generalising, but really, when I was when I started buying, because I was very lucky, I worked um, for very ethical directors for the majority of my sales career. The same two directors, and I thought that was very normal. I used to be a huge defender of the industry and salespeople. <laughs> you know, no, no, we're not like car salesmen. No, it's not like that. Heavily regulated. Little did I know how naive I was at the time, <laughs> unfortunately. And you know, and so yeah, look, there are a couple of examples I give quite regularly because they really stand out where I had negotiations on a property both times. Um the first time with super like a very well respected where the directors are great at the company, but this particular sales agent, um, this is the conversation. I was going to make an offer and I was trying to suss out where to put place the offer through the agent. And he said, because he knew I was ex-sales, and he said, well, you know, I don't care. Like, just give me your offer. Let's get the deal done. I don't care if it's $10,000 higher or lower. But literally word for word. And I just went, wow. You know, the the... This is this is your mentality, and now so not every agent was quite so open and vocal about how they were behaving, but you would see it when I was buying, or I would see it when I was buying because because I'd been on the other side because I had done sales and and you'd see them cutting corners and and you know drip feeding offers, which is which is illegal, which is where let's say the offer's a million dollars and you go to the vendor and you say I've got an offer, 
it's great. It's nine fifty, and the vendor goes, no, no, and you, I don't want to sell it for nine fifty, and you go, don't worry about it. You don't let me go back to the buyer. I reckon I can get more. You know, and they they drip it in bit by bit. Uh, they look like a superstar negotiator, <laughs> and the vendor, you know, can come down in price at the same time. It's you know, it's a it's a negotiation tactic, and it can work on both sides. Um, and it, it happens, and you know, I would have agents sometimes that make an offer, and and um, and I would say, do you want me to make this hard work for the vendor, or this is on the buying side, so different. I'm representing the buyer mm. in the past. Don't do it anymore. Um, and I would say, do you want me to make this hard work for your vendor? And they'd say, what do you mean? I'd say, well, do you want me to start the offer lower and work my way up, or do you want me to come in at a, at a you know? Our maximum, which was was not the maximum, but you know mm. that was the conversation. And and I'd, I had an agent. I had other agents. They'd say, "Oh, you know, yeah, um, you know, just yeah, give me your offer, and I'll 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 work it out." You know, sort of mumbling. And I'd say, "Oh, are you going to drip the offer in?" And they'd go, "Yeah," you know, like I'd call them out on it. <laughs> um, you know, so there's the, those kinds of things. I've I had an agent tell me that he was too busy to negotiate. He just needed the owner to accept my offer. You know, I, I, I just so many stories that I could, <laughs> I can tell you from when I was buying, and and even with that service I mentioned before, where you have you know a vendor trying to sell the property, the agent it's not it's not selling. I had one of those situations recently, and the agent was a lovely guy. Um, not going to give away a lot of information on this one in case people put two and two together, but um, yeah, lovely yeah. agent, really cared about the vendor, really wanted to sell it, but just. You know, didn't understand certain aspects of of sales. You know, left the vendor alone with the buyers. Who you know, which is which is not the vendor's fault. But then the vendor said, "Oh, that that's a problem," and the buyers were like, "Yeah, it is." And then I was like, "There's no issue with what you're talking about. It doesn't, you know, that it doesn't. It's it's like it's a non-issue." And I've conf- it wasn't her fault. It was not the vendor's fault. She should never have been left alone with the buyers. Like, just ah. Anyway, I'll stop because there are yeah. a lot of stories. Proceed- well, procedural stuff, and I guess, and a lack of care, and a lack of a lack of experience, and a lack of critical thinking, and all the things that probably in every industry with you know certain segment of of the uh, practitioners. But I think that you know it, it is interesting to get that insight by jumping the fence. You know, you said you you jump from sales to represent buyers, and you get to see sales agents from a different perspective, and obviously outside of different offices to where you were from. But then you jumped again back sort of somewhere in the middle to work as a vendor's advocate. What made you decide to specialise in just vendors, you know, vendor advisor or vendor's advocacy, however you want to call it? Yeah. I I love the sales side. Obviously, I have a strong background in sales and I, I just, I really love that side of things. Right. Um, but seeing how so many vendors were misrepresented when I was buying just blew my mind because, you know, these have really experienced, you know, 30 years in the industry, 15, 10 years, you know, superstar label in the area, well-known. It doesn't doesn't have to be the newbie up-and-comer sort of agent that you see this kind of behaviour with. And it it just made me really passionate about giving vendors the best experience possible which is a combination of all those things we've talked about, about the ethics, about the transparency, about the honesty, the trust, you know, the proactiveness, the, the care factor. It's so important. And you really need an agent who's who's driven, who is passionate about what they do, whether it's, you know, five years in or 30 years in, they've got to love what they do because they will get you a better result 
if they are really passionate and driven still about their job. So some of those um, people that you work for that um, they've already chosen the agent and they're in the process of selling and they've hit snags. It's not going to plan. And this happens quite a bit in in a slower market like we're experiencing at the moment. In fact, I I made a little rant video on this too, which is why isn't my property selling, Um, which I might put the link in the show notes. But you really get one shot to do it properly, don't you? You know, you you start the process, you choose the wrong agent, you pitch it wrong price-wise, you get the advertising, you you know, it's really a four-bedroom four house and you're advertising at a five or three in, instead of a four or whatever. You know, like what would you say that really costs people by not getting it right at the outset? Can you give us some examples, I guess, of, of really how things could have been a lot better and easier if they'd made a better decision on their agent in the in the beginning? Um, okay. So a few questions in that one. So I think firstly, it depends what the market's doing. If the market's growing, which it's mm. not at the moment, <laughs> then it, it, you know, you paper could potentially, and let's, let's be honest, it sounds like you've talked about it as well before, Veronica, and it can often come down to the price mm. that, that, you know, whether it's what the agent has promised or the vendor really wants or a lack of communication or both or everything, you know. Um, it can come down to that. So in an, in a market that's growing, then the cost factor maybe is is a positive one because you might end up doing better. At the moment, it's the reverse, and mm. most most agents on the ground, at least in here in Melbourne, Victoria, are expecting the market to be to get worse next year, at least in the first six months. And and the so problem there is that, is that an agent when they're pitching for business will go and appraise a property. They'll put a price on it that they think yep. that it should achieve in the market. And obviously, if it's done yesterday, then you would hope that it's sort of current. But it might have been done a month ago or six weeks ago or whatever. But also, there's an element of flattery in that. Nobody really wants to have you know. And and look, something I learned when I first started selling is don't condition the vendor until you've got the signed agency agreement. You know, Veronica, you're not winning business because you're conditioning the vendor too early, you know. And it's a term. It's called conditioning the vendor, otherwise known as hitting the vendor over the head with a hammer. Um, you know, because people don't like people don't like signing up with the agent that told them the realistic price because they feel like yep. they don't believe in the property or they're not going to fight hard enough to get my price. So how do you, as a you know, in the vendor's advocacy space, how do you deal with that? So I always tell clients and agents at the from the first interview that their price needs to be the feet on the ground, achieve this price every day of the week. You know, I, I'm not interested in you might get this or you might get that or maybe if, you know, you know, everything comes together and, you know, heaven shines down on auction day, you're going to achieve this much. I don't care about that figure. If it gets that, fantastic, but I prefer to I'd prefer to be pleasantly surprised rather than the reverse. And I want the vendor's expectations to be accurate because they're making, they're they're spending money to get the property to market with, you know, advertising, potentially yeah. furniture styling and the emotional um, price, I suppose, as well. Even with investment properties, it can be a lot. Um, you know, it's a big deal. We might deal with this every day, transacting properties, but it's a big deal for vendors. They might do it once in a lifetime you know, two, three, four, five times, it's still not that much. So you've got yeah. to get it right. So yeah. that's the first thing, getting it right. In a market like we're experiencing at the moment um, where it is it is coming off and it probably has come off a little bit faster than we had expected in the last three months of this year so far, 
um, it has meant adjusting expectations because you're right, like at the time of the appraisal, it might have been worth X, but now it's worth X minus whatever, um, 50,000 or 20,000 or 100,000, depending on the price point. So um, again, it comes back to that relationship and honesty from the get-go and trust so that when you do have to deliver the bad news, and you don't hold off delivering it either because you're not doing the vendor any favours in sugarcoating crap. Mm, can I yep. say that? Um, you can. <laughs> you know, you've, you've, you've got you've to deliver. And it doesn't mean you're blunt about it, but they've got to know what's happening. They've got to understand what's going on with the property, with the market, with the buyer's mentality as well. Um, so, yeah, so getting it right at the beginning. But then if it, if it does change during the campaign, then having those conversations immediately. Yeah, and I think that you mentioned earlier, I mean, there's two parts of this. is the agent and whatever they've told the person to expect, and then there's the expectations of the seller. And, you know, I've often said to people, if you're not willing to meet the market, wait, do not list your property until you are willing to meet the market, Correct, whether the, sure. whatever the market is doing. Correct. Because, you know, that you once you spend a lot of money and, and time and energy and all the rest of it getting the property market, as you say, and there's that emotional investment Two, and then to just sort of then take it away with your tail between your legs because, you know, you didn't get $2 million on a property that was really only ever worth $1.7. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you were never going to get it. Didn't yeah, matter I, how I good the agent the digital was. real estate matters more than ever, right? A lot of people get access to, you know, RP data and then they can see that the property got listed in 2018 and it was on the market mm. for a month and it didn't sell. It was on the market for six months and it didn't sell. Um, yeah. Or it's been on the market for six months and it still hasn't sold. Like, yeah. you know, because the vendor originally had high expectations and, you know, now it's got a bad smell about it. And it's, even though it's a great property, like, I think the digital real estate, you know, you've got to be very careful damaging that and playing around with it because you just create questions to buyers and, you know, doubts. And when you ever do want to sell it one day, maybe you don't get as much competition as you should get just because you, you try to try your luck back in 2017 mm. and it didn't work. I think, um, I think that's someone people got to be very careful when that's like, for example, listing their property in November or December, like, do you really need, is it worth that if you think ultimately it's not going to sell till Feb, maybe you should hold off listing it till Feb, you know, like, um, I think people just, uh, need to probably think about that a bit more. Well, that's an issue too, isn't it? Because timing, it, most sales agents will say, look, you got to sell now because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and in fact, I hear a lot now, we, we're recording this in December and they're saying, oh, you better sell it now because we know what the market is this year. Next year is going to fall off a cliff. It's like, well, really? Do you really know that? Do yeah. you really, really know yeah. that? And yeah. so I guess as a vendor's advocate, I mean, how do you have those conversations around timing? Yeah, absolutely. Timing's, as, yeah, as you said, this time of year, it's especially important. Um, and, and look, I guess no one knows what's going to happen with the market next year. It, it really is crystal ball stuff. And that's what I say to clients. I say, you know, all we can do is, you know, make educated guesses, but they're really just guesses. Nobody actually knows. Mm. So I guess there's risk involved in, now it's getting too close to Christmas, but, you know, let's say a month ago, there's risk involved if you put the mar property on the market now potentially, but there's risk if you wait until yeah. next year because it may be worse. It, it yeah. just might be, and they are the expectations, but, you know, we don't really know. So... It's just being honest and having and letting the vendor make those choices themselves. There's no pressure. If next year's better for them, next year's better for them. And maybe yep. the market is what the market is. People always need to buy and I sell. Think, I think there's also a benefit of vendor advocate when, as long as the vendor advocate, and I think uh, uh, the best vendor advocates, we, we will be ones like yourself, Fiona, 
that absolutely just focus on vendor advocacy because I think, you know, being on a buy side and a sell side with the same agents, I think that's a little bit, it's so nice just to be on one side of the fence, right? Like <laughs> I'm not trying to buy from you with this client and then trying to work you hard for buyers on the other property. I think that's a little bit, same as the buyer's agent that does also property management that also does, you know, all these other things. I think the best vendor advocates will just, you know, solely do that. The other thing I really, going through this experience with my sister is when things aren't going well, there's a certain price where it's not, doesn't make sense to sell for the, uh. the seller, but they've already paid sunk costs, right? On styling, fixing it advertising. up, the marketing, the advertising, um, they might have the got tenants to vacate, the, the tenants to vacate, yes. etc. And, um, you know, it's a lot of money, right? And at some point you kind of go, oh, but also the opportunity cost of, you know, the market they're potentially going to buy in, is that better or worse? Or, you know, should they transact? Can they even transact from a finance point of view, et cetera? And so I think someone, you know, the best vendor advocates will, you know, forget about that they're not going to get paid, but then actually advise the client and go, look, I'm going to get you as a client long-term. I want a client for life. Um, and it's okay that you've had all these sunk costs and, and to, to really temper their emotion because it's so, a lot of vendors will just rush the sale through, even if they didn't need to, I and mean, they could have just sat on it for six or 12 months and released. And I think that's another, the best vendor advocates would be there as that sounding board to say, no, don't sell it right now. You know, it's worth 1.5 and you're really only getting low ball offers at 1.3 because you've picked the wrong agent and, or something else has gone wrong. Right. Um, and do you think, do you find that sometimes you, you get stuck in that predicament where you've really got to advise the client not to sell? Um, and come back to market at a better time. Yeah. Um, and the question as well is when is the market going to, let's say, catch up to where the vendor's expectations are? There's that question. Yes. <laughs> what are you going to do with the money on the flip side? Like, so, uh, let's say with an apartment that maybe, you know, not going to have as much capital growth. Like, can you invest that money into something that's going to grow better, faster, more than this property? So those kind of <laughs> questions so that they can, again, make an informed decision yeah. Um, but yeah, that does happen. And I had one, um, just recently where I was literally about to call the client. We'd had a negotiation with, with a buyer. We'd had three offers, two were wishy-washy and much lower. One was, you know, substantially higher in a contract. The vendors, it was, it was just, you know, off what they really wanted at their absolute bottom line. And I was about to call them and say, the next day and because the buyer had walked and say, hey guys, like, what do you want to do about renting it? Because we're not going to get, you know, to the level that you want and you need to make that decision now because we're a few weeks before Christmas. So if you want, and there's no point, you've vacated, you've styled, you've spent all this money for the sale, like let's get it rented ASAP for you and start that process. And the buyer actually, the agent was very persistent with the buyer and got them up an extra, um, you know, few tens of thousands and, and it ended up selling. But, you know, um, that doesn't always happen. And then that conversation does go ahead and you do say, you know, do you want, do you want a referral for a property manager? Yeah. Although sometimes the urgency that the agent suddenly gets because they know they're totally losing a fee. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's going to be it's going to be rented out, and that urgency is translated to the buyer. That that can be quite can sometimes work, can't it? So thanks so much for coming on, Fiona. That was awesome. I think vendor advocacy is something that's going to continue to grow. I know around the world it's um, even a bigger part of the the selling process, but I, I think it's a it's a real value add for one who's really experienced and can really be that person in the middle there. And so, uh, wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time, and nice to meet you both. 
If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.